I'm Damian Willis, and this is The Reporter's Notebook from the Las Cruces Sun News, a podcast in which we attempt to pull back the curtain on our reporting process while diving deeper into some of the biggest stories of the week. In this week's episode, we're talking about recent conversations about homelessness and crime in Las Cruces, business leaders recently organized a forum to address a gap they say the mayor and city council created by ignoring the issue of homelessness and property crime citywide. On June 2nd, the Greater Las Cruces Chamber of Commerce, the Las Cruces Association of Realtors, and the Las Cruces Home Builders Association hosted a forum for business owners to discuss concerns about theft, vandalism, substance abuse, and homelessness in Las Cruces. The forum was held at the Home Builders Association event hall. On Monday, June 6th, many showed up to speak during the public comment portion of the Las Cruces City Council meeting to address the same issues. This week, we talked to Las Cruces Sun News reporters Justin Garcia and Michael McDevitt and photojournalist Meg Potter. Michael covers city and county government for the paper. Justin writes about public safety, cops, and courts. We'll talk about the issues expressed by the business community, the stats behind crime locally, based on a recent Sun News analysis, and what we'll be looking for as this conversation moves forward. First, Meg, Justin, Michael, thanks for taking some time to talk with us and share your reporting with us today. Thanks, Damien. Yeah, Happy thanks to for be having here. us. Let's just kind of start by talking about when this issue first came to loggerheads. We've been reporting on concerns about rising property crime and vehicle theft, for instance, for a while now. But the business community first raised its voice May 26th during a press conference at the game Sports Bar and Grill. That was organized in part by owner Marcy Dickerson. I think Justin and Michael were both there. What did you observe and what were your impressions from that event? Well, I think it's... I think kind of taking a, a step back before I get there, it's it's the over the last prior to that press conference, um, different businesses, primarily like in the El Paseo corridor, have expressed uh, concern about vandalism uh, on their property, largely through um, largely through social media platforms and, and most obviously uh, the Las Cruces Community Watch page. Yeah, I think uh, South Main also kind of comes to mind. Sure. Yeah. So, uh, uh, yeah. So Michael and I went to a press conference at the game back in, like you said, back in late May. And the takeaway from that was largely that, um, well, I mean, kind of looking at it with the context that we have now, it was sort of the first salvo in a concerted effort to put pressure on city officials to um act on uh, issues of property crime and, and homelessness. It was sort of, um, you know, it almost was kind of like a like a testing ground almost for kind of how these ideas would play and, and what kind of reciprocation they would get. And 
Uh, ultimately, a lot of what was expressed at the at that press conference, which was only attended, I should say, only attended by media, a lot of what was expressed there was then reiterated in subsequent meetings, both the, the public forum afterwards and the city council meeting. I guess it's also relevant, though, to say that the 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 panic, real or not, over supposedly increasing crime, increasing homeless homelessness, which uh, I imagine Justin will get into the actual statistics behind crime in a bit. Uh, this type of panic has actually been brewing since uh, May of last year. Um, there was a pretty uh, notable uh, killing in Apodaca Park, and that coincided with a number of public safety meetings that were happening, uh, hosted by Mayor Pro Tem Cassandra Gondara, a city councilor. And uh, crime and homelessness were also featured pretty prominently throughout the, the 2021 municipal elections in Las Cruces. And, and I think the rhetoric has actually just ramped up even more. I think that we would be remiss if we didn't mention what Dickerson did as a way to fend off crime on the property of her restaurant. Oh, you're talking about the watchtower. <laughs> uh, yeah, yes, yeah, I so, am. Yes, yeah, I am. It's it's certainly something that makes for a, a good photograph and, and good, good um, TV B-roll. Uh, the watchtower kind of sits, it's like a, just for kind of to set the scene for people, it's a, it's basically a deer blind uh, sitting inside of a fenced off area, looking over the parking lot within, behind, within the patio, within the patio, uh, looking over the parking lot behind the game, which of course is, is a restaurant owned by Mar- Marcy Dickerson. Uh, when Michael and I attended the press conference, it was manned. I, I asked Marcy if there was going to be kind of what the what the level of, I guess, manning the watchtower was going to be. And she said that she planned on having security up there as often as she could, uh, including potentially armed security. I, I should say I, I recently went to the game for another story and uh, the watchtower was unmanned at the time. But, uh, yeah. She also did say something along the lines of, uh, I don't anticipate them shooting anybody in the parking lot. Sure. Yeah. Uh, Additionally, there's also um, a LCPD series of cameras in that parking lot that uh, has been there since the press conference and uh, was there earlier this week. So it's you're going to be seen if you go to that parking lot. (laughs) That was not. That was, um, like Justin said, kind of a, an opening salvo, a preface or a preamble to a town hall event that took place June 2nd at the Las Cruces Home Builders Association. And I think, correct me if I'm wrong, I think all three of you may have been there for that. Uh, is that correct? It was just Meg and I. And what were your takeaways from that event? Well, um, I'm sure Meg can speak to what she observed in, in a moment, but just the, the takeaways for me, now this was uh, an event that was put together by a coalition made up of the Home Builders Association, the Greater Las Cruces Chamber of Commerce, and the Association of Realtors. Now they've been uh, up in arms about a spate of property crimes that they said they've been experiencing, most notably vandalism, squatting in unfinished houses and buildings, and uh, maybe most prominently, the theft of building materials from uh, building sites. Um, you know, copper and, and lumber, these materials that have uh, skyrocketed in cost because of supply chain issues, the pandemic, sure. et cetera. And, and, and um, 
it makes a really good opportunity for allegedly criminal rings going in and stealing these types of building materials and being able to profit off of that. They organized this on June 2nd and invited uh, Mayor Pro Tem Cassandra Gondra, the police chief Miguel Dominguez, and uh, it was also attended by some notable community members such as Nicole Martinez, who runs the Mesilla Valley Community of Hope, which deals with a lot of the unhoused people in our community, as well as city councilor Tessa Abeta. Um, all of these people attended, made presentations. I think that one of the dominating narratives was that um, bail reform, uh, a system enacted through a 2016 constitutional amendment, um, was creating a quote-unquote revolving door of repeat offenders, as the police chief put it. Uh, this was the first time I'd heard the police chief really speak very harshly in opposition to the bail reform system, where he claimed it had handcuffed their uh, their department in being able to keep these largely nonviolent offenders behind bars for longer. Yeah, and, and Dominguez is not the first police chief in New Mexico to sort of uh, uh, take aim at bail reform. Um, Albuquerque's police chief, Harold Medina, also took aim at bail reform um, a few years ago uh, as part of kind of a, as part of an effort uh, in Albuquerque and, and in Bernalillo County. And they're, they're certainly seeing an enormous spike in crime and have over the last three or four years. Yeah, they, they are, Damien. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. They, they have seen a, a spike in crime, but um, uh, University of New Mexico study found that the the crime and especially violent crime that was being committed was was not being committed by people who had well I should say was largely not committed by p- people who had who were out of jail on um who were out of jail waiting for their on on bond their, uh, well not on bond right <laughs> who are out of jail waiting for their their cases to uh to be resolved so something to keep in mind Unfortunately, there's no kind of similar uh, data collection effort here in Donina County to ask the same question. I'm not sure about the first one, but I think you mentioned that event was also attended by Nicole Martinez, who is the executive director of Community of Hope, which assists people who are experiencing homelessness in Las Cruces. Speaking on behalf of the homeless community, what did she have to say and how was it received? The uh, the essence of her message with, was that these are people that we need to have compassion for. These are people that are from Las Cruces, largely, and these are people who would be benefited by increased housing, not increased incarceration and increased policing. I think it's important to mention that though this was an event that, as the Home Builders Association and their coalition would say, was was put together in response to their perception of increasing property crimes, it quickly became, as as the Marcy Dickerson event became, a conflation of crime and homelessness. There was a a lot of people who spoke out about unhoused people in our community contributing to the property crime wave that was being discussed. And um, despite what Nicole Black may want to uh, you know, present in, in terms of this is just about crime, um, as as we've seen at this event and then at the city council meeting on June 6th, which featured a lot of public comment, crime and homelessness are, are being spoken about in the same breath. Yeah, it's it's as, conflationary. As the is ramped up. Yes. Sure. 
Yeah, and I think it's important to remind our, our listeners that uh, there's tons of evidence out there that people experiencing homelessness are way often more the victims of crime than they are the, the perpetrators of it. And that kind of leads us into this. Justin, you've done reporting recently on relatively current crime stats in Las Cruces. What did you learn through our analysis of that data we received through a public records request? As far as we know, based on the latest available numbers, where do things stand? Yeah. So right now, as it stands in, in a lot of different. So it's, when we're talking about crime statistics, it's really important to understand that we lump these things together when a lot of times maybe we shouldn't. There are crimes against people and crimes against property. That's right. Yeah. And within that crimes against property category, you know, uh, someone could have an entirely different motivation for committing like a vehicle theft, for example, as opposed to a burglary. So overall, overall, kind of with that in mind, overall property crime in Las Cruces is low compared to what it was in the, in the 1990s and, and early 2000s. Um, according to the FBI's database, property crime was highest in Las Cruces in 1991, and right now overall sits at about a quarter of um, sits at about a quarter of what it what it was at that point. With that said, one particular you know, I talked. I brought this up before, but uh, one particular area, vehicle thefts, is is has spiked pretty significantly. And um, in two thousand and twenty-one, I think that that anyone looking at Las Cruces Community Watch can uh, observe that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, never trust what you see on social media. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> there's that too. But vehicle thefts are are uh, have increased to a to an all-time high in in bus cruises so that's your that's your stealing of a car and and whatnot when I spoke to the chief about this he said that about 60 percent of those vehicles stolen are, are ultimately recovered and um, Las Cruces Police Department kind of works in conjunction with uh, Doniana County Sheriff's Office and police departments in El Paso and, and others since since that crime in particular is one of um, it often involves people trying to leave the area with the car or, or groups that are operating to sort of take the car somewhere else. Um, yeah, the, the property crime picture in Las Cruces, again, it's it's tough to sort of really get a handle on, right? Somebody in, somebody in one particular part of town may experience vandalism over and over and over again, whereas vandalism or, or you know, someone throwing a rock through their window or something like that, whereas somebody in a completely different part of town might be like, oh, yeah, that hasn't happened to me in five years. So it's 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 kind of tough to generalize what the it's, it's hard to say, Oh, property crime is this in Las Cruces or property crime is that it's, it's it's very specific to specific areas and a single person can be responsible for breaking a dozen windows. And so it's, it's hard to get a grip on, on the trend. I'm uh, thinking of Ernest T. Bass from the Andy Griffith show, uh, throwing, throwing rocks through windows. Damien, everyone else you're talking to is under 30. Is there any evidence to support the uh, repeat offender argument, Justin, that bail reform critics lean on to support their arguments against the constitutional amendment that was passed in 2016? Yeah, that's that's a really fantastic question. Uh, you asked if there's any evidence. There is anecdotal evidence of these these individuals who say, oh, well, it's the same person, um, you know, but that's that's anecdotal. 
there is no, at least for our county, there is no hard data on people who have been arrested and who are awaiting trial if they are going out and committing new crimes. I think this community, you know, I hope this isn't too editorializing, but I think this community would be uh, well served by having that information. But that's currently not something that's um, that's currently not something that exists or as far as I know, is being being worked on or put together. They certainly they certainly lean on the case study of Joel Arseniega signs who vandalized two properties in Las Cruces and was out on bond released on bond. I, I think even the police chief, Miguel Dominguez, talked about this and yeah. then cut off someone's head and quote unquote played soccer with it at Apodaca Park a couple of right. years ago. Yeah. Right. And earlier I, I said that happened in May. That happened in June of last year. I just double checked. But yeah. Um, yeah. Just just for anyone who's unfamiliar with that case, Joel Arsenega signs is accused of um, uh, he's accused of first degree murder. Uh, he's accused of killing a man named uh, James Garcia. You know, since I've been here, which is, you know, just over a year at this point since I've been here, he's the only person who's been arrested and charged with murder who had kind of uh, who was out on, on that. that bond you, for, yeah, that we know was had been released yeah, on bond. Yeah, he's he's the only one. And since since then, I'm I'm kind of spitballing here, I'm, but since then, there's been about 10 murders uh, and none of those people who have been none of the people who the police arrested have been on bond as as far as far as I know, as far as I can remember. And to be clear, those released are largely if they are charged again while out on bond, they're they're charged with nonviolent offenses, right? I, you know, this is another good question, Damien. We just don't know, right? We just do not have the data to to support that, uh, to support that claim. Again, there are individuals who you could point to that are there. Are, there are a handful of individuals who do pick up things like trespassing or you know other really kind of minor stuff, trespassing and vandalism. Who pick up a lot of those, or a lot of those charges, and those people are often held up as. Kind of like, look at this, you know, the, the, the people who are, who are really upset about uh, vandalism and stuff in the community, they'll hold those people up and say, look at this person, right? How could how can we as a community accept that this person is able to commit, you know, a trespassing, who is able to pick up 27 trespassing charges or 15 vandalism charges in the course of a year, right? But the truth is, we don't have data to support that, whether to, to support whether or not that person is an, is an anomaly or whether that person is is emblematic of a larger trend. Um, that information simply does not, it has not been collected and has not been presented in any form. Um, it's something I've asked the district attorney's office for, and it's not information that they collect. Uh, the police department certainly doesn't have it because they don't really deal with people once they've been charged. Um, so it's kind of a, it's, it's a, it's a gray area. There's just not information on it. And in the absence of information, I believe that's where you see city leaders like the police chief and as recently as this Monday, the city manager, Ifo Pili, and uh, Las Cruces Mayor Ken Miyagashima have similarly come out against bail reform in the city of Las Cruces without much evidence, uh, as Justin says, that that this is actually contributing to repeat offenders as recently as Monday at the city council meeting, the mayor claimed that he had only just recently learned that bail reform existed through uh, that 2016 
constitutional amendment and then suggested that he lead a charge of business owners and um, people in the real estate industry up to Santa Fe uh, for the 2023 legislative session in January to somehow amend the the bail reform system in a similar way that failed uh, this past legislative session. There was there was a uh, right. a move to try to kind of keep more people behind bars, and and that that ended up failing. But it seems yeah. like the Las Cruces mayor wants to. He's kind of calling of for a system. caravan. I, I mean, at the end of the day, what they are doing is endorsing the outcome that more nonviolent offenders should be kept behind bars because their theory is that that will somehow reduce the perception of of increasing property crime or or the spate of of property crimes that are being experienced by these notable business leaders things also got heated at the Las Cruces City Council meeting on Monday June 6th which was about a week ago there were lots of representatives from the Las Cruces Home Builders Association who spoke what can you tell us about their concerns that was kind of the follow-up to the uh, public forum that, that we previously talked about. If I'm not mistaken, I believe the public comment session lasted about two hours. Um, it was extended by the mayor responding to basically every commenter. Um, and his response was consistent every time. He, the commenter would say, I'm upset about vandalism. I'm upset that I don't feel safe in my community. I'm upset that I see the that I see the results of people who are unhoused and who don't have a place to do basic things like go to the bathroom. So what are you city council going to do about it? And the mayor's response every time was we are going to do something about bail reform. It's it's unclear how that would work exactly, because, again, even the, the reforms that failed in the legislature last year, uh, would not have been had any effect on those on what these folks kind of describe as as the problem. Uh, those measures last year were largely based around if someone was accused of committing a crime with a gun, that that would then give extra weight to the to the findings of whether or not they were dangerous and whether or not there were any conditions of release that could possibly be fashioned for this person to be let out. Right. Um, like I said, it lasted about two and a half hours. You know, it wasn't ever kind of. It, it never got like out of hand or anything. Everyone agreed to the kind of the the manners of the forum, I guess you could say. But um, it ended with some pretty emotional comment from Councillor Yoana Bencomo, who acknowledged the feelings of the the participant of the public commenters, but overall condemned their language. And some of that language was was you know, objectively hateful. Uh, one individual said um, in response to uh, he said that, you know, if, if city council wasn't willing to do anything, his second was, amendment, uh, that's yeah, that's what the second amendment is for. Yeah. It's kind of a loosely veiled uh, implication, a loosely veiled threat that if nothing is done, um, we're, you know, we'll we're just going to shoot them. Mm-hmm. And, um, and again, that was, that was a sentiment, not exactly directly, but that was a sentiment. That was echoed by Marcy Dickerson and and that group at the first press conference. The idea of taking things into your own hands and handling well, the and, stuff and yourself. the armed guard. Mm-hmm. And so, so yeah, it was kind of this uh, continuation of, of those three events. And 
you know, we'll certainly see what happens over the next couple of weeks with, with that group. What struck you as important from that meeting? Uh, well, like I said before, it's it's difficult to, uh, you know, we don't I, I don't ever want to say that that the group that spoke in front of public comment was a a sample of the Las Cruces community at large. It wasn't. It was specifically, as I said before, specifically developers, specifically homeowners, and specifically small business owners, right? Which I don't know about you, Damien, but I'm personally none of those things. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, overall, uh, yeah, no. <laughs> but overall, um, yeah, it was a lot of anger. It was a lot of frustration. It was a lot of just people feeling helpless and and saying that they want uh, they want the city council to do something about it. And, you know, the city council is not, you know, crime. <laughs> crime has existed for a very long time. And the Las Cruces City Council is not necessarily going to be the body that's going to solve all crime. But I think for this body, particular for this uh, group of commenters specifically, I think the frustrations lie in the lack of acknowledgments and the lack of um, solutions presented. Typically in the past, when this sort of stuff kind of starts bubbling up, government's response is to incarcerate more people. And, you know, there's not exactly a lot of evidence to support that incarcerating leads to overall less crime, but it does sort of show people that something is being done. And so I think that's largely where this whole bail reform thing comes from. And, uh, but it is not the past anymore. <laughs> it is 2022 and, and the voters of New Mexico, you know, not just overwhelmingly, but I, I hope people really appreciate this, not just overwhelmingly, but in a in an election that saw an unusually high turnout. People might remember, but the 2016 election was kind of a big deal. And that that amendment was supported by 87 percent. Of New Mexico voters, or eighty-seven percent of the people who voted in that election, I should say. And there, there is another side to that argument, though, Justin, in that it was phrased in the way it was phrased on the ballot, and many people think that they were misled to uh, vote for something they didn't really believe in. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I've seen that support. I've seen that stated in online and, and stuff. I'd, I'd love to see some, I'd love to see some surveys about something like that, but I, I was going to say, Damien, that it's a effort to, as, as was put by kind of one of the leaders, uh, Raul Torres, who's the, uh, who's the district attorney up in Bernalillo County. He, what he wanted to do by, in his own words was reform, bail reform. And his reforms were not exactly outside of the realm of, of reasonableness. Specifically, the reforms that he wanted to, to implement were largely based off of rules and, and laws that exist in, in comparable institutions in the federal government and comparable institutions in other bail reform states. And, and that bill died in committee. Doesn't a lot of that have to do with pretrial release, which Bernalillo County is kind of the only county that has got a, I would venture to say, acceptable pretrial release model that the rest of the state might be yeah. able to so adopt. So I think what you're, you're talking about the pretrial services, right? Just so I'm clear. Right. Yeah. 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 So just so our, our listeners know, pretrial services is essentially, let's say, 
let's say Damien and I decide to break into the Sun News and steal all the copper out of the, the building. Yep. Uh, half, halfway through, Damien realizes he forgot the tools at home and the police are called and Damien and I get arrested. All my, all my wire cutters left oh, at home. I told you to bring them, Damien. Uh, so uh, Damien and I get arrested. We are almost certainly not going to be held in jail while we are waiting for a court to determine whether or not we are guilty. Uh, the reason for that is that our actions, as I described them in our little were, our were, were nonviolent. We're nonviolent. We did not necessarily present a danger to the community. And there are certainly we, we release that, that. You and I might out. present a danger to um, other people's copper. But <laughs> right, that's right. a thing. But addition, we're going to be put on on conditions of release, right? That say, oh well, you know, hey, if you guys, you know, if we hear about you guys doing that again, we're going to uh, potentially put you in jail then, um, or or charge you ten thousand dollars, mm-hmm, or charge you some money. Additionally, and this is where the pretrial services comes in. You're also going to be required to be monitored through this thing called pretrial services you're going to need to check in with them periodically they're going to call you you're going to call them maybe um, wear a ankle monitor yeah not not in this county but but yes up in up in uh, bernalillo they have the ankle monitors the ankle monitors is, as far as i know have not been implemented in this county yet but they will but uh yeah doniana is doniana is probably about two or three years behind the uh, implementation on that stuff but uh compared to bernalillo county and i think but, uh, i think Nearly every other county in the state is too. I don't think that that they're really using pretrial services anywhere else, except yeah, not, for not Bernalillo sure. County. I'm not sure, and 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 again, I just just to maybe Bernalillo maybe County. Santa Fe. Yeah, I'm not sure about I'm not sure, but Doniana County is using pretrial services. Just so we're clear, uh, they're not using ankle monitors. Um, but they are using pretrial services and, you know, defense attorneys I talk to generally kind of like that system. Um, a person from the law office of the public defender told me recently that they believe it's really helped reduce the number of, uh, people failing to appear for court hearings, which is one of those things. Failure to appear is one of those things that, that if you fail to appear to a court hearing, you'll be arrested by a police officer almost, you know, as soon as they see you, right. Um, like it a lot less. So, you know, it's new. That's something that, that people who supported have told me a lot that it's new and, and it's, it has kinks and those kinks are being worked out according to people familiar with it. So, so when going back to the city council meeting, how did mayor Ken Miyagashima, uh, city manager, Ifo Pili and other counselors respond? Did they, proposed solutions <laughs> yes in in the support of that the solution was to focus the energy on on bail reform and you know as we've talked about here that's not a clear-cut solution at all uh despite what the mayor and the city manager suggested other than that no there was no talk of of there was really no talk of increased patrols uh there was really no talk of sort of increased services for people who are either experiencing homelessness or experiencing um uh, experiencing poverty in a way that would potentially lead them to, you know, seek income through illegal means. No talk of any kind of like drug programs. It was the, the city's response led by the mayor and the city manager was to target bail reform. Talk about pie in the sky. Yeah. 
So on Wednesday night, there was a, a meeting that was organized by Comunidades en Acción y de Fe, or uh, New Mexico Cafe. And they were talking about policing, too. And did any of this come up? Yeah, it did for it did a little bit. I think I think everyone there was I think it's fair to say pretty well informed. And so they were aware that this that, you know, another group had spoken to the city council about public safety issues um, not long before. And while it didn't it didn't in any meaningful sense specifically come up, these issues of vandalism, property crime, this meeting was mostly focused on um, possible police reform. And it was focused on, you know, some another topic that you and I have talked about a lot on this podcast, Damien, and that's the uh, the killing of um, Emilia Vaca. The this what was interesting, I think, for me was that it was it was clear that these people were aware that that meeting had taken place. And in many ways, sure. this meeting yep. was uh, this meeting was was attempting to address public safety issues, although, you know, public safety issues from how can we create more accountability and more transparency as citizens over the Las Cruces Police Department? So not directly, but I think but but it's all kind of in the same it's all kind of in the same vein. And I have a feeling that these two groups I have a feeling that these two groups could potentially come into conflict in the future, depending on how things shake out. Meg. I want to bring you in now and kind of talk about what you saw when you have been reporting on this issue throughout all of these events. Um, yeah, I think it's fair to say that the through line throughout all of these meetings and events is how frustrated people are that there doesn't seem to be any action on the issue of crime and homelessness, those two separate issues. Um yeah, and, and again, you just said those two separate issues. I think it's important that we not conflate the two. Absolutely. I totally agree. You know, um, I think sometimes it's kind of an instinct to conflate the two. But, you know, if we really want to solve the problem, we should be making sure to, you know, really get to the root of those two separate issues for sure. And what has your impression been, or, or as you're at these meetings and you're taking photos, what are you looking for as a photojournalist? Yeah, well, kind of touching on what I said before, I try to approach every assignment and really look for the emotional core of every story. So like I said, it's it's really the most present emotion at these meetings are anger, you know, people are really frustrated. They're either, you know, experiencing homelessness or, you know, like, or the perceived rise in crime is is costing them a lot of money and they're local business owners and they can't afford to keep dealing in with the break-ins. Yeah, people, people are just, people are really upset and they want something to be done and they're calling on, you know, the city council, the the police departments, you know, to do something. And yeah, there's just a real sense of frustration and Las Cruces. As reporters, I know we put a lot of thought into how we covered this issue. And we've been doing that for the last several weeks, which Michael wrote about in our newsletter, which is also called the reporter's notebook. Does Anyone want to speak to the importance of covering this issue with care and 
accuracy? Yeah. So, you know, like you said, we, we take every story seriously, but especially stories when you're talking about human beings and their experiences and the, the suffering that, that goes along with that. You know, it's, this is a difficult one because we as journalists, uh, as the public is probably very well aware, are under pressure from from you know things like deadline and and at the end of the day we're a private business and so there's all of these corporate machinations above us that are mostly annoying to 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 people like Meg and Michael and I on the ground. <laughs> yeah, and and me, sure. Yeah, cut that part out, Damien. We don't want them here. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's true. We want no, we I, want I, people I, to know what's true. But what's one thing that I think maybe the public might not recognize in a situation like this? What's really difficult here is the people who spoke in front of city council, as I mentioned before, were largely homeowners, largely developers, largely small business owners. They are people that the city is hyper responsive to because because these are people who have to interact with the city on a more regular basis. Right. right. So they know how to sort of use these tools and, and whether this is conscious or unconscious doesn't really matter. Uh, they know how to sort of use these tools that will ultimately get their point of view out in the newspaper. Yeah, they, they've got a hammer and they know how to use it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. They know how to use the. They know how to use both ends of it, and uh, the result of that is that their point of view is amplified. But you look through our stories, and you know, readers paying careful attention will notice that there is no, there are no one experiencing homelessness is represented in those stories. Their experience is not. And, you know, that's something that we as a newsroom really need to do a better job of. I Yeah, I agree. But it, it's also, you know, it, it just the whole, again, I, I'm, not, I'm not diminishing the experiences of the business owners and the developers. I imagine it is an absolute pain in the ass to have somebody come and take all your construction materials or to have to replace a window. Sure. And... All that stuff, right? But throughout this whole thing, I was thinking a lot about um, a man I reported on back in February whose name was uh, Marcel Cruz. Marcel lived near Community of Hope and most recently on the corner of uh, Avenida de Messia and I-10. And that was kind of like his haunt. And uh, he would go and, and check in on the Pickwick right up the street right. and would, um, talk to, he had a whole kind of cabal of, of friends who he would sort of make the rotations on and check in on and like him they were people who were homeless and um you know his friends called him mousy and uh he he died on the side of the road of avenida de Messia, one of the busiest drags in las cruces just died right yeah yeah and <laughs> you know i i think i think it's very hard to have empathy for someone when you don't uh have those direct experiences. Well, it, it's that, hard that when you don't see their humanity. Yeah. And that was something that I think was really absent in, in these conversations, was kind of a, a sense of empathy for, for people, even even in these cases, empathy for people who were taking your things or causing you trouble or making you feel unsafe. Because at the end of the day, people who are living on the side of the road or people who are stealing copper are just as much members of the community as people who are building homes and people who are who have mortgages and you know i i <laughs> i have a you know I, I have a feeling that that's not something that's necessarily going to change anytime soon but um i hope that going forward because this isn't this isn't an issue that's going away i think the big if if there's one thing that people take away from listening to this podcast 
or from reading our stories about this, is that this is going to be an issue that persists for at least the immediate future, if not longer. Yeah. And I hope that during that period, people can kind of take other people's humanity into consideration during that. Right. Kind of take that 30,000 foot view and just say, these are people too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Meg, I guess the same question goes to you. Uh, talk to us about the importance of covering this issue with care and accuracy. Yeah, I'm kind of jumping off of what Justin said, you know, we're the Las Cruces Sun News and our job is to make the paper for every Las Cruces and people who are experiencing homelessness or living on the streets are just as much Las Cruces as people with mortgages here. And it's really important that we, you know, document their experience and their perspective as well, right? Because... You know, I know bail reform is an issue that came up in the homeowners and business owners meeting I attended. But I think if we like, like you said, Davian, take the 30,000 foot foot view, if if we look foot view. Yeah. If we if we take a step back, people will realize that bail reform is more of a band aid. And if we want to fix or really address the issue of. Um, homelessness, we should start getting to the the core issues, um, you know, housing, um, wages. We need to really address those issues because at the, like I said, at the end of the day, bail reform is you're, you're treating the symptom. Yeah. Um, yeah that's a band and not the cause. Yeah. So I think it's really important for us as journalists to really I guess, sink our claws into and investigate the real, the, you know, get to the cause of it, make sure that people know that. And more importantly, include the perspectives of the people who face the brunt of this issue, the people who are um, experiencing um, homelessness. Yeah. And I, I think the young man who died, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I think that we really need to do more to get into that community and kind of tell that story. Yeah, absolutely. Because they're just as much a part of the community and very much a part of the story as business owners. Michael, is there anything you want to add that we haven't talked about? I think the only thing that there's left to say is that going forward, uh, we as reporters will be watching what positions various city leaders, county leaders, and our state representatives locally take on the position of um, – what positions they take on issues such as bail reform, other sort of criminal justice issues. As there's been this backlash to the progressive approach toward criminal justice, I think it's important that we as reporters pay attention to how our our city leaders, our, our state leaders, our, our county leaders are are responding to, you know, the issues of homelessness, crime, et cetera. And so that's what I'll be uh, paying attention to. Well, uh, Meg, Michael, Justin, thanks so much for your time today. I want to thank you again for taking a little time to talk about what we know right now. I hope we can do it again as this conversation kind of 
starts to move forward. Yeah, thanks for having me, Damian. I think, as you said, this is this is going to be this is going to make at least two other podcast episodes. So I, I think so, you're well, you're probably we, right. We talked about it. We talked about it for a while. So, and I always try to say this. You know, if anyone listening has any kind of um, is any kind of comments or they want to, you know, they want to give us their opinion, you can always our emails are at the bottom of all the stories we write, and we're always happy to to talk to people and, and, you know, get more points of view and everything like that. So we always appreciate that stuff. Meg? Yeah, thank you for having us. We really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Reporter's Notebook. We also have a newsletter sharing reporter stories about, well, about how we report stories. You can find all of our reporting in the Las Cruces Sun News. A huge thanks goes out to Justin Meg and Michael for joining us this week. You can follow their reporting in the Las Cruces Sun News. Also, you can find this podcast on Apple Music, Spotify, Amazon Music, iHeart, TuneIn, Stitcher, and just about any place else you find your favorite podcasts. This has been the Reporter's Notebook from the Las Cruces Sun News. I'm your host, Damian Willis. This week's podcast was written and produced by me. You can find all our local reporting brought to you daily by reporters who live and work in Las Cruces at www.lcsun-news.com. For all of us at The Sun News, thank you for the privilege of your time.